You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. How many of you guys have ever wished that you could go back in time and change anything? Anybody ever wish that maybe you'd go back in time and change? Maybe a, a decision that, that maybe you could do differently? Raise your hand again if you're like, you know what? There's a, how many of you like have a lot of decisions maybe you'd like to go back and change. I don't know if I have a lot, but I definitely have things that I would go back and I would change. Um, you know, think to yourself, what would it be for you now? Now, it's not just things that you did, because sometimes we made some poor decisions, but what about the things that you didn't do that you should have done? Maybe uh, an investment or a relationship or a proposal or, you know, something that, that maybe um, you could have done, but you didn't do. See, life is not always how we had planned or hoped or would have liked to. Sometimes there are just things that we wish maybe that we could undo or do over or make a choice. Now, today, we are talking about a parable that is not often talked about uh, in churches because it's a weird parable, uh, but also because it, it is one of the ones that Jesus does not explain, and therefore, it has a lot of different interpretations of this particular parable. So what I'm going to give you today is what I feel is the interpretation of this parable, um, knowing that you may not agree with me on this interpretation, but this is a parable about a guy who is actually able to change his future by changing his relationships in his past. He was able to go back and change. Now, Jesus, in his parables, spoke unfiltered the harsh realities of the kingdom of heaven and the, and the things of this life, his unfiltered view on life, on love, on heaven, on hell, on eternity, and most important, about the kingdom of God. It was the number one way that Jesus taught. It was parables. It was a third of all his teachings. They were designed to conceal and reveal the truth at the same time, to reveal to those that are followers the truth and to conceal to those that are just fans of Jesus the truth. So which are you today? Today, a man who got to change his future. So we're going to jump right in. The parable has many different names, some known as the parable of the shrewd manager. Some call it the parable of the smart manager. Some call it the parable of the unjust manager. So you've got a complete opposite spectrum of the smart, shrewd guy or the unjust or this corrupt. It's also called the parable of the corrupt manager. So let's see what you think it should be called. I call it the parable of the smart manager. It's in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Here we go. Jesus told his disciples. Now, it's important to understand that this was a teaching for his followers. If you are a Christian, today's parable is for you. Now, if you're not a Christian, then this is what we are about. All right, this kind of gives you a heads up on, on kind of the job requirements if you decide to become a follower of Jesus. This is one of those very difficult parables. That, depending on the interpretation, the end result of the parable is always the same lesson. So, so hold on to that. It doesn't, because you might disagree about some of the details, the, I, the big idea of this parable is going to be the same for everyone as a follower of Christ. But if you're not a follower, then this is kind of what you can expect if you become one. It says, he told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager or steward was accused of wasting 
his possessions. Now, right off the top, I want you to know that God is the rich man. And Christians, we are the manager. All right? So point number one, I want you to write this down. Today's message is called Fool's Gold. I want you to write this down. As we are simply managers, God is the owner. Today, we're going to tip some sacred cows, and we're going to talk a little bit about God's financial plan. Now, this is not necessarily about money, but it is about money. It's about our resources that God has given us. See, God is the rich man in this parable. We are the managers. We are the stewards. We are those that God has just said, here, take care of my stuff. So it's important to understand that before we go anywhere else, the number one lesson of life and the number one lesson of finances is God owns it all. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. We see this again and again in scriptures. First Chronicles 29, 11 says this. It says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give to all you please. First Chronicles 7, uh, 29, 11. Here's Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Every person, whether you're a Christian or not, you belong to the Lord. Now, some of, some of you who are not Christians, you belong to the Lord, but you're not one of his children because we become his children when we become adopted into his kingdom through Jesus Christ. And then it says, Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains, you have found in them, you own them all. So we are stewards, God entrusts to his people, managers, uh, to be managers of his things that God's given us to be stewards, to resource God's possessions for his glory. So point number one, you are just a manager. God owns it all. It goes on, verse two, it says this. So he called him, this manager who he accused of wasting his time, he says, so he called him and said, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. I want you to write this down. Number two is that we will give an account to God for what we have been given. Everything you have is on loan from God. And one day you will give an account to everything that you have, everything that you've been given. We will all have to answer to God for how we used his resources. We will all give an account to how we use our time, our talents, and our treasures. And so he confronts this manager and he says, give an account. And verse 1 says, he was accused of wasting his possessions. I have a question. Are you wasting what God has given you? See, this is, this is at, the, at the depth of the, the big question of this parable that's not often talked about is, are you as a manager, wasting the resources that God has given you. So verse 3, the manager, us, found himself in a very difficult position. He's getting fired from the rich man who is God. He's getting fired. So 
This is what happens. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm getting fired. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig holes, and I'm ashamed to beg. He goes, man, I'm going to be I'm going to be homeless. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be with, I'm going to have, a, I'm not going to have a job. I'm like, I cannot take care of, I have nothing without the rich man, without my boss, without the master. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He goes, I have an aha moment. Here's what I'm going to do. This is where the interpretations differ. He says this, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked him, how much do you owe my master? How much debt do you have with, with the boss, with the master? The guy says, 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, well, the manager told him, uh, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450, we'll call it even. So he said, submit that to the master. Verse 7, he says, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? The guy says, 1,000 bushels, uh, bushels of wheat, bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, well, take your bill. And make it 800, again, submit what you have to the master. So what did he do when he found out he was about to be fired? He called up all of the, of the owner's debtors, all the people who owed the owner or the rich man, the master, money and resources and things and said, how much do you have? And he says, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to start a debt resource management. I'm going to help you relieve your debt. Have you guys have ever heard of these debt relief programs where you can settle your debt? If you're young, maybe you don't even know what debt is. It's, I'll tell you what it is. It's a monster. It's a ugly, ugly, multi-eyed beast with claws that rip you apart to shreds and eat you alive and doesn't care what you feel. Um, debt is, is, is an angry thing. So basically, these debt relief programs, they, they basically haggle or they they get a settlement, a lower amount. Say you owe like $10,000 to Visa. These debt management people, they will call Visa on your behalf. You have to pay this debt program. And they'll say, hey, this guy, they owe you $10,000, but they have $5,000. They can give it to you now. Will you call it even? And Visa or MasterCard, they'll go, sure, as long as we have $5,000 right now. So they'll come back to you and say, hey, if you've got five, they, you owe $10,000, but if you give $5,000 now, they'll call it even and you'll be, you'll be off the hook. That's a debt relief program, right? And some people think they're corrupt. Uh, some of them are. Uh, some people have found them to be very resourceful to help them get out of debt. But the point is, this guy who's about to be fired was the first person to start a debt relief program in the world. He helped people get out of debt in the hope of having their favor when he got fired. So he's thinking, I'm going to get fired from my master. I just helped them get out of debt. So when he gets fired, he goes, hey, man, remember I hooked you up? Remember I got you off the, off the debtor's list and I got you debt-free? Can I stay at your house? <laughs> Can I crash with you? Can you help me out a little bit? So his, his motive was maybe mixed, but he was helping people get out of debt with the master. Now, this is interesting because in verse 8, this is where the interpretation gets really uh, different. A lot of different people feel this way. He says, so the master commended the dishonest manager because he has acted shrewdly. That's where the, the parable of the shrewd man, uh, manager or the smart manager, because shrewd means smart. So he commended the, the rich man who is God, who's Jesus in this parable. He commended the dishonest manister for being smart. Now, 
here's where the interpretations, uh, interpretations vary. Some people say that Jesus is calling him dishonest because behind the master's back, he was basically erasing debt without his permission, right? And that he was kind of working deals, and so he was cheating the manager out of money. So Jesus called him a dishonest manager. Others say he was called the dishonest manager because in the first verse, he was wasting the manager's money, and the dishonest manager title had nothing to do with his debt relief program. I believe it had nothing to do with his debt relief program. I believe that dishonest manager had to do with who he was in verse 1 and 2 as someone who was wasting the manager's resources. Because I don't think God in his purest character, the Bible is very clear, he does not honor or glorify dishonest, lying, or poor behavior. So he is not honoring his debt relief program as being dishonest. He's actually honoring it as something that is smart and something that is good. Now, that's where the interpretations vary, but it does make a big difference because he says, you acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd or smarter in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, this is a really big, difficult reality for you Christians in this room. Jesus, side note, he says to his disciples, he says, he commented that then, and it still applies today, that often non-Christians are better with their money than most Christians are. They're more wise, they're more bold, they're forward-thinking, and they're smarter or shrewder with their money. I can't tell you how many Christians I find in me that are just always in financial struggle. It seems like the majority of Christians that I know live on the edge of financial ruin on any given month. But yet you wonder, man, how is it that these people that aren't Christians always seem to have money, always seem to, you know, be blessed, always seem to like making money in the stock market and stuff? Because Jesus' side uh, note here, and it's a sad note as well, the side note is that, hey, guys, the reality is oftentimes people who are not Christians are smarter with their money than Christians are. See, why was that man considered smart or shrewd? by Jesus, because Jesus was giving us, I believe, two principles. He was giving a spiritual principle and a financial principle. The spiritual principle is this. Debt, I think, in the Bible always represents sin. And this smart manager, knowing that they could never pay off their debt to the manager, or to the owner, rather, he instructed them to bring what they had to the master, knowing that the master would receive them. See, he was saying there's this, there's this overarching kind of double meaning here that this debt represents our sin, and the smart manager saying, hey, the master, he's a good man. If you'll just bring what you have, he will receive you. So there's a spiritual principle here. If you bring your sin, see, some of you, you've done so many things. You, you, you know, none of us, whether you've done just a little or done a lot, none of us could ever repay the debt that our sin has caused between us and the master. You can never pay back. You are in debt up to your eyeballs with sin. And this shrewd manager who represents the followers of Jesus Christ says, hey, just bring what you have and the master will receive you. That's a spiritual principle. But there's also, by the way, God deals with our debt of sin the same day today. If we can't pay it, we cannot pay it. He says, come, come. Jesus will receive you. Here's the financial principle is this. If we pursue the kingdom of God, 
with the same determination and zeal that the people of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. So he's telling his disciples that, guys, listen, this is a parable. That means it's a, it's a comparison. It's just a story that relates to a deeper meaning about how God looks at the world life and the kingdom. And he says, there's a very big principle here, and that is, guys, if, if the kingdom of God would just have the same determination and zeal and wisdom with dealing with the world as those that are lost are, we could change the world. I think of it like this. Uh, um, a few years ago, some of you were with us actually went to Oaxaca, Mexico. And um, John Paul, you were with us on that trip. We went to Oaxaca and, and we went up into the mountains, you know, several hours. We, we flew into Puerto Escondido, went to a place called uh, Roca Blanca, and then we, we drove several hours up into the mountains at a village that I, I don't even remember and can't pronounce. I had a hard time pronouncing it then. But it was uh, one of many Mixteca tribes uh, that were all over the Oaxaca Mountains. It's the number one most unreached people group in the Western Hemisphere. There is uh, hundreds of dialects in the mountains of Oaxaca and uh, of the Mixteca. There's like 90 different dialects and only one of them has a Bible uh, in their language. So the village we were at does not have a Bible in their language. And so we were ministering there and, and doing outreach and had multiple translators because some of them speak Spanish, some of them speak Mixteca. So when I preached, it was English, it was Spanish, it was Mixteca. English, Spanish, Mixteca. It was like boom, 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 boom. It's like messages were three times as long. You guys would love that. So what was interesting, though, is like some of the elders in the church, like the one that we stayed at, he'd been an elder for several years but never once read the Bible, ever, because he didn't speak Spanish, and he couldn't read Spanish, and therefore he didn't have a Bible in his own language. But you know what he did have? He had Coca-Cola and Levi jeans. Because every month, there's a, group of, uh, there's, a, there's a group of trucks, just a whole slew of trucks that make the journey up into the mountains of this remote village, and they set up, you know, in the square, a market where people can buy Coca-Cola and Levi's jeans. You see, we got, a, we got the world is so much smarter than us. They're working so hard to make sure that these remote places have Coca-Colas and Levi's, but we can't get it together to get a Bible up to these people in their own language or care enough to even work on it. You see, the world is so much more smarter and shrewder than we are. They are growing and expanding at a rate that the church could learn from. And Jesus is saying that in this principle. He says, man, if we pursue the kingdom of God with the same determination and zeal as people in the world, pursue profits and pleasure, man, we could change the world. It would be an entirely different world. So Jesus goes on, verse 9. He says, I tell you, talking to his disciples, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, that seems completely backwards to everything the Bible says, right? Use money to make friends. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? Like, what does that mean? Are we supposed to be, like, you know, using money to make friends, to buy friends? So like, that sounds like something the prodigal son would do. It, sounds, it doesn't sound right. Well, your inclinations of questions on why that doesn't sound right are correct because the better understanding of this is this. This is not about using money to make friends. 
but a reference to building friendships through your finances, through resources, which in return build the kingdom of God. Thus, the reward that follows is resources that are laid up in heaven. Here's the deal. God has said, I'm giving you stuff. You're a manager. Here's, here's your money. Here's your resources. Here's your house. Here's your car. Here's your television. Here's the resources of your life. Use them to build relationships with people so that when you get to heaven, your reward will be there, and it's them. They are the reward. Okay? So this is beautiful. This is a great challenge. And, and you know, often, you know, we went to Haiti uh, year before last with a group, and uh, I remember we were sitting in one of the services. They have a Sunday service and a Wednesday service at the place we were at, and the place we were at is right next to a, a little village that is uh, completely, it's a pretty large village, but it's completely without power. You know, there's no electricity, there's no plumbing, and uh, most of these people live in, in shacks or tin huts or concrete buildings that are just, you know, the whole house is built as big as like two of these little rugs, and, and they're, they're very tiny, and there's no power, no electricity, no power lines, and so when the sun goes down, that whole village just goes black, right? But right there, where we're at, um, there's, a, there's a church, and these people, you know, by the hundreds come from this village and walk, you know, couple miles to, to the church, and we were sitting in church, and we were, it was our midweek service, or Sunday night service, one of them, that we had to be at, and uh, it's in, it's in, they speak in, in a French Creole, that's the, the language of Haiti, and uh, it's not Haitian, they don't, nobody speaks Haitian, it's French Creole, so uh, we're sitting there, and I'm like, what is he talking about, and the, the translator goes, he's preaching on tithing, I'm like, What? How can you preach on tithing? People ain't got nothing to wear. They got no clothes. They got got a house. They got shoes. And then this translator began to tell me in my ear what that preacher was teaching. He was teaching the principles that the Bible say, and that is God has given you resources for his glory and for his kingdom. So the translator was telling me that he was saying, if you have a shirt, if you have two shirts, give one of them. If you have two pairs of shoes, give a pair of shoes. If you have extra pants, give pants. Because we have people here that don't have shoes, that don't have shirts, that don't have pants. If you have extra food, sow that food into the kingdom and watch what that can do to feed those that are next to you. And I'm like, this is blowing my mind. Because we're thinking, man, don't, let, don't take anything from them, but see, the principle is, of this is bigger. We will all, even those Haitian men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ in a very poor, poor place, they will all, we will all give account to God for how we managed the resources he gave us to use for his glory. I was deeply convicted that day because I, you know, because giving is not an issue of the rich, it's an issue of the follower. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called and will be held accountable to God for your resources. So he says, use your worldly resources to build the kingdom relationships so that when you enter heaven, you will be welcomed. Haiti, teaching on generosity, tithing their shoes and their shirts. You can be poor and still be greedy and still be stingy and still be consumed by money. I see it all the time. People in our church or people in the world who have no money, no car, no shoes. They're living on the streets, but they're still as greedy and stingy and money-focused 
as, as anyone I've ever seen. Uh, the challenge is, if you cannot be a faithful steward of little, how can you expect to be trusted with more? Verse, 16, uh, uh, verse 10, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Know this, whether you have little or a lot is not the issue. You will be held accountable regardless of your income bracket. This is a hard, parable pill to swallow. Because some of you think you are exempt because you don't have very much. And good thing this is not about the dollar, it's about the devotion. It's not about the amount, it's about our heart. Likewise, he says this, the kingdom of heaven, verse 11, so if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You know what those true riches are? Eternity. He says, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, talking about God's property, who will give you property of your own eternal life? See, Jesus is reminding them again and again that everything we have belongs to God, and we must see ourselves as simply a manager of his resources. I want you to write this down. Number three is this. Our attitude towards stewardship is crucial to our walk with God. So you guys don't, you don't get this part because you don't like this part. Nobody wants to talk about this part. But your attitude towards stewardship is a direct reflection of your attitude towards God. How we view and use our resources is a response of our relationship. It's reflected in our priorities, in our pursuits, and in our generosity. Jesus continues, verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. It is impossible. You can't say, I love God and I love money. You can't say, I serve God and pursue and, and spend every bit of energy you have in pursuing money. He says, it's impossible. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, in case you didn't miss what he's hinting at, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Many spend their whole life working for the wrong boss. Some of you guys are, are, you're a Christian by religion, but you're not a follower of Jesus Christ because your boss is money. Your boss is your possessions. Many say they love God, but their money says differently. 2 Timothy 6, 9, the Apostle Paul challenges us in this uh, Following up on what Jesus says, Paul says this uh, to uh, Timothy, a young pastor. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I've seen that myself. Anybody ever seen that? The, the people have fallen because of money into harmful desires and into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money, by the way, Everybody say love of money. It is not money is the root of all evil. It is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Love of money, not money. Some people eager for money because they love it and they just want it. They want more. They got to have more. They're pursuing it. They're chasing it. Eager for money have wandered from the faith 
and pierce themselves with many griefs. There are people in the church, Christians who say yes to Jesus, bow the knee to Jesus Christ, but yet they still are pursuing worldly possessions and money and, and esteem and prosperity to the point that has caused them to wander from the faith and piercing them. With many griefs, man, I've seen marriages fall apart. I've seen families fall apart. I've seen uh, people compromise their convictions and their values in order to make more money. And I believe some people are money-possessed. Some of you are possessed today with money. From the second you wake up to the time you go to bed, you're thinking about your budget, your money, how you're going to make it, how you're going to spend it. It's important that we are conscious and that we are good stewards. But we are not pursuing money. We are to pursue God's glory with what he has given us. It says, but you, man of God, Paul says to Timothy, but you, man of God or woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue, we're not pursuing money, we're chasing different things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. We live life and spend life with eternity in mind. The Pharisees were nearby listening to Jesus who gave this parable, and they were like eavesdropping, and and they began to cringe because these Pharisees who were pastors of their day, religious leaders of the big churches, uh, they began to sneer and, and kind of, you know, make fun of Jesus in their heart. It says, Luke uh, 16, 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at him. But Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. Guys, listen, it's the same attitude we get today. You cannot fool God. You sit here being cool, thinking that this parable applies to everybody but me, somebody but me. You might even be thinking of somebody that this is for, but it's not you. But Jesus says, you know, you can't fool God. God knows where your heart is. And then he says, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And I want you to write this down. God values things differently than us. What you think is valuable is different than what God says is valuable. It's known as Godonomics. God's Godonomics are different from our economics. Jesus unfiltered. For Jesus, what he values is different than us. It is life upside down. So listen, and don't hear me wrong today. You can write me, quote me on this. Jesus wants you Jesus wants us to be rich. Jesus wants us to be wildly rich. Jesus wants every person in this room to be crazy rich in heaven. Jesus says, lay up or store your treasures in heaven. Be rich. Just don't put it here. So, you know, our Nissan Rogue is not going with me to heaven. Our TV is not going with me to heaven. My record collection and 80s cassette collection is not going 
with me to heaven. My Mickey Mantle and Nolan Ryan baseballs are not going with me to heaven. Even my 1650 first edition Bible leaf print of the book of Hosea or the letter uh, page from Hosea is not going with me to heaven. They're not bad. We need to understand why we have them. Everything we have has been given to glory, to glorify, and to honor God and to point people around us to know God better. Every And the sooner you understand that, the more God will honor you with more management responsibility over stuff. And by the way, you can't judge someone's spiritual life over their possessions because there are an incredibly godly amount of people around the world who live in very low income brackets or complete poverty who are righteous and holy and generous in the field of influence that they've been given. This is not about the amount of possessions. It's about how you use what he has given you. We spend our whole life chasing fool's gold, shiny things. I've got some old tokens here. I had some in my in my drawers, and then I asked Summer for some, and she's like, yeah, yes, I got a bunch. So these are tokens, game tokens, arcade tokens, uh, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. You know, um, man, these are so valuable, right? These are so valuable. I got, I, I keep mine and, and I just, cause, cause they're shiny, you know, they're, they're cool. They're funny. I'm going to come back to these in a minute, but we've got our fool's gold in our life. But think about this financial plan. According to Jesus, I want to hit a few things real quick before we go is number one, the avoiding the fool's gold. Here's some keys. Number one, the end of our life is a myth plan for beyond death. This is a big part of this story. It's a big part of what the kingdom of God uh, message from Jesus is about. Is it the end of this life is a myth? Life doesn't end at 84, 85, or 90, or 100, or 120. God does not say, all right, time done. You're released to go. Do whatever you want. It's actually this life is a practice run for the next. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal, everything that we have in this life, every physical possession will break, get destroyed, or get stolen, or be left behind. There's no U-Haul behind our hearse. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and there, uh, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, heaven, there your heart will be also, see, if we put our heart and our treasure in, in line with God, all of a sudden our investments and in how we live our life are different. Again, he says, just a few verses later, Jesus again says you cannot serve both God and money. See, we try to plan for this life. Man, we spend every bit of our attention on planning life to death. Where I want to be at age 40, where I want to be at age 50, where I want to be at age 60. Some of you got a plan to be a millionaire at age 60. Too bad you won't feel like doing anything by then. Some of you, you have a plan to be a millionaire by 70. Uh, too bad uh, it'll be all spent in your nursing homes. You know, there's this, this desire to plan to death. And, you know, it's important to be wise and shrewd with our money because the more that we can produce income for, the greater impact we can have in kingdom work for eternal 
layaway plan in heaven, right? We're giving towards the future. We're storing up in heaven. But we spend so much time on school. We go into debt for school so that we can make money and spend half of our career paying off the debt for the school. We, we put so much money uh, into investments only to see the stock market rise and fall with different candidates or seasons. Or we, we, we jump around to careers to figure out which one, yeah, I'm not happy, but it makes more money. Because we're constantly planning life to death. If we could just look beyond the grave, if we could just look to eternity and realize that this life is just a layaway plan. It's just a it's just a a resume for the afterlife. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen, Paul says in an earlier letter to Timothy, he says, Command those who are rich, that's all of us, uh, who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. For our enjoyment. If you have your Bible, circle that. God gives us wealth for two reasons. Number one, to expand the kingdom of God. And number two, for our enjoyment. It's, a, it's okay to enjoy what God has blessed you with. All right? But our hope is not in that blessing. And our hope is not in that car, that house, that career, or those things. And, and when we do receive them, they are to be used for God's glory. To build relationships, to make friends for the kingdom of God. All right? He says, for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In the same way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See that big screen TV? That's not truly life. That nice car that you have or want to have or that truck is not truly life. Now, if you ever get those things, enjoy them and use them and share them to help people to know what true life is. That is the point. Realize you will live forever. When this earthly part is over, we begin a new chapter in life. This is just a temp job. We live forever. Why plan for such a short part of our life? Jesus is telling us, don't fall for the fool's gold. This life is simply a resume for what we're going to do in eternity. What we've been given in this life, our abilities, our jobs, our income, our careers, our homes, our possessions, are on loan from God to invest, to glorify God. And investing in a return in this life is fool's gold. That's why he says in Luke 16, in that parable, whoever can be trusted with very little will also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little, little will be dishonest with much. So you... So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if you have not, how will he trust you with true riches? See, this is not an anti-stuff parable. This is a pro-kingdom parable. So I have a test question for you today. You can write this down if you want. And this is how you know where you're investing. Which one are you sacrificing for? Are you sacrificing your time, treasures, and talents for this life or for eternity? That is a great test question on where your investment plan is going, if it's laying up in heaven. Second thing I want you to know about avoiding fool's gold is the only investment that counts are people. And I think this is why Jesus commended that shrewd or that smart manager. Because 
he realized that would honor what would honor the master is helping out those that were in debt. This is the heart of the parable. The resources of this life end in this life, but you can use them for the next. What we've been given is given to invest in people to know Jesus and to experience the king in the kingdom. Ephesians 5.15 says this, Be very careful then how you live, knowing this. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is, this is something that has the potential to transform your life. This is not a, a parable about money. This is a parable about the kingdom. And if you'll embrace this and understand this for what it is, this can literally send you in a completely different direction in your life than you ever imagined. This parable is about a smart man investing in the lives of people. Jesus is telling us that any other investment is foolish. Jesus told them in Luke 16, 9 in that parable, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's done, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use what you have to invest in people who will be future kingdom dwellers. Guys, think about it this way. When we get there, there'll be people who you never met who will say, because of you, I'm here. Because you gave to that missionary, that missionary came to my village, and my life was changed, and I bowed the knee, and he set me free. Because of you who are faithful in, you, in giving, people will say, it's because of you, I've never met you, but because of you, my mom and my dad got their marriage back together, or my dad got free from that addiction, and as a result, our family stayed together, and I met Jesus over in Kid Venture. Because of you, because you volunteered your time, and because you gave your treasure, and because you were generous with your resources, I'm standing in heaven with you, and we get to be neighbors. Thank you. Our layaway plan is bigger than what we can imagine, and the only investments that count are people. That's one of the reasons why I love Living Way, because our church is all about people. Our future of our church, our move, is all about people. It's not about how big or how many buildings can we have or how many multi-sites or how advanced our technology can get. It is about people and how God can use us to impact as many people as possible. Third thing I want you to write this down, I'm going to wrap this up, is this. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. This guy in this parable, check this out, he was getting fired. It wasn't until he was confronted with his own future that he started making changes and investing into his master. Think about that. Some of you guys, open your eyes to your future. And understand that this life is frail. Life is but a vapor. The Bible says we breathe and then we're gone. And then we face eternity. And this resume that you've been building your whole life, this temp job that you've been working at, you're going to get a permanent position in heaven as a follower of Jesus Christ. And this life determines the next. So let's open our eyes to the future. Let's be like this smart manager. And when he was faced with the reality of his future... He started thinking about how to honor his master. It was a wake-up call. Let this parable be a wake-up call to you. So how do we honor God with our money? How do we invest? How do we get involved in God's layaway plan? 
investing our time, talents, and treasures. Um, here's tips for godly investing. It's all on one screen. Just take a picture of it. Think about it later. Uh, tips for godly investing. This is for disciples only. If you're not a Christian, just take a nap real quick because you're almost taking a nap anyhow. So uh, you might be. This is not. This is a disciple sermon. So this is for disciples. Take a look at this. God's investment plan for you. Tips for investing. Number one, investing is easier when you realize it isn't your money. When you realize this, it changes everything. That is the foundation. Begin there. Number two, tithing is the antidote for the poison of materialism. Some of you guys are poisoned with materialism, with possessions. You want, you have, you're looking, you're comparing what everybody else has to you. And, and you may, you can be incredibly materialistic and still be without anything. The antidote to the poison of materialism is tithing. Tithing is a kickstart to generosity. It's not the ceiling in which we hope to reach. It's the floor on which we walk. It's the beginning. A tithe is a biblical principle that means the first tenth. That means in the Bible it says, if you want to learn how to be generous, begin with the tithe. It's a very basic principle. Begin with 10%. Like if you make a $10, then, then give a dollar as an antidote for materialism, and then use the other $9 for Honoring God and enjoying life, honoring God, paying your debts, uh, saving up money, use it wisely, be a shrewd manager. But that 10% is the starting point. It kickstarts. Find a church you can believe in and partner with them. See, that's why when we do the offering, we don't ask our guests to give anything. If you would like to, you're more than welcome to. God will bless that, I believe. But we ask our regular attenders and our members if you believe in our church, then get behind this ministry and partner with us as we expand the kingdom of God in our influence. Here's the third thing, connect with something your heart connects to. Okay, you, you begin tithing. Now it's time to step beyond that and step out. Uh, connect with ministries that expand the kingdom, honor God, and flow from a local church. Not all, quote, ministries are eternal investments. Some ministries are false faith ministries, and they don't promote the gospel, which is eternal. You can give somebody water, but water without eternal life is just water, and it's not an eternal investment. It's a worldly investment. So if you're going to invest in ministries, make sure it's one that is meeting the needs in this life and investing their life into the next life. Make sure that they are discipling and honoring people. So you give your tithe to your local church. That's basic kickstart. And then you start to connect with ministries outside and you set those goals. Be strategic about your investments and set goals. Things like Compassion International, Mission of Hope Haiti, Rally International, which is our Congo mission, uh, Indigenous Missions in Mexico, International Justice Mission, Union Gospel Mission, Matthew 25, Young Life, Local Ministries. Be strategic about your investments. Connect with something your heart connects to. Start with one and add as God blesses you. Man, all of those are connected with you. Well, start with one. And then as God blesses you, expand your spiritual portfolio, right? Have a plan with that. Here's a test question. If someone were to ask you, if someone were to ask your husband, your wife, or your friend what your ministry was, what would they say? Big test question. 
They would ask, well, what is your ministry? And, and if the people closest to you don't have any answer, then maybe you need to find something that you can believe in and connect with and get behind. And here's the last point of uh, godly investing is live generously. Just live a generous life. Release the stuff. You're just a manager. Steward it with responsibility. Next week, we're going to have a parable known as the parable of the talents. And it's, it talks about a lot of different things in that parable. But there's a, a, there's two versions of the parable where it's a three guys and one where there's ten guys. And in that ten guys, I just want to read a couple of verses from that parable. And Luke 19, 11, it says this, While they were listening, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And this is what Jesus said. Here's the parable. He began with this. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and he gave them each 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Guys, this is the word of God to you today. There is an expectation to use for God's glory what we have been given. And God is telling you today, put your money to work until I come back. That's the challenge for us today. The parable follows with different responses. Some did wise, some were foolish, and those that were foolish were punished severely. You're going to talk about that next week. There is an expectation to use what we've been given. Here's the deal. This is my, these are the tokens. Reminds me of a story I heard about a father who took a son Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? Heard the story about a father. It was a pastor, and he took his son to Chuck E. Cheese, and, you know, they got the cup of coins, right? The, the cup of tokens. And uh, they, they, the son got the cup. You, you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? I mean, who's ever been there uh, taking your kids there? It was like, it was equal to Disneyland when my kids were little. That was like the magic place. It was that and the McDonald's Playland. It was like, well, do you want to go to Disneyland or McDonald's Playland? McDonald's Playland. <laughs> you got it, baby. <laughs> uh, easy answer there. All right. But we go to Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, they get that cup of tokens, and you know, you know, you shaking that cup of tokens, right? It's like, ah, it's money, it's treasure, it's money. And you open it up, you know, you're dropping the coins into the cup, and you're like, it's like, you're like this, you know. It's like gold, gold. I just dropped one of my gold pieces. It's like gold, and you're like, oh. So this father, he says he gave his son a cup of gold tokens, these tokens, and he says, all right, son, let's go play some games. And his son goes, I don't want to play the games. He goes, why don't you want to play the games? Because because I don't want to lose my gold. He's like, no, you don't understand. These are just tokens so that we can play games, and then we can get tickets, and you take those tickets, and you get prizes, and then we take those prizes with us. It's like, I don't, so you ready? Let's go, let's go play some games. I don't want to play some games. I want to keep my gold. I want my gold. He says, son, I don't, I don't think you understand. He reaches in. He pulls out and he says, look at this. What's that a picture of? It's a rat. There's a rat's face on this. It's not gold, son. It's not gold. It's only good here. And once you leave this place, this coin with the rat's face on it, when you leave this place, it's not worth anything. 
It's not valuable anymore. It's only valuable here. So you can play some games and invest in your relationship with me and maybe get some tickets and walk out with a treasure that you can use outside of this place or you can hang on to that gold. So, all right, son, you ready to play some games? No, I would just, I don't want to lose my gold. You know, oftentimes I think we do kind of similar things in this world. Everybody take out your money. There's a rat's face on it. <laughs> Some of them are more ratty than others, right? But God is telling us today, guys, listen. It's only valuable here. Once you leave this place, it's worthless. So you have a choice. You can white-knuckle your rat face tokens now, or you can use them to build relationships and a treasure you can take with you. But the choice is yours. And this is the challenge to us today. What will you do, as that parable says, when you give an account to what you have been given? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you do bless us. God, in that parable of the talents, it says that you gave each according to their own ability. And so, Father, in many ways, what you give us is based upon what you feel like we can handle. But, Lord, let us never judge spirituality by possessions because there are people that are in, in deep poverty who are the richest people on the earth. But, God, I pray that we will take responsibility for what you have given us. Because every one of us, every person on the planet, from Mexico to Haiti to India to China to Dallas, Texas to Garland, will be held accountable for what you have given them. So, God, I pray that we would see beyond this life and look to eternity, lay up our treasures in heaven, and understand what is true value in this life. God, what a great thing to learn young. If you're a young person in this room, embrace this. And God, some of us that are late in our life, God, let us be that like that smart manager who made a change quickly once he saw his future. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to be wise in all areas of our life. But God, this is a place where our treasure and our heart are deeply connected. If you're here today, I want you to know something, that you are the greatest treasure of the Father's. Everything we have and everything that we are challenging the kingdom of God to do to be generous is for you. Because God sees you as the greatest treasure to give everything away, to obtain and to hold it. are the only investment that counts. So I pray that as you sit here this morning and maybe are wondering if the kingdom of God is a place for you, I pray that you would know that yes, you are welcome here. This is a home, this is a place for you. And that you will continue to see God's face for your life.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.